Hey, welcome to Online Church at the South. We are so grateful that you've taken time this weekend to join us in worship and hearing a word in just a little while. Here's what's going to happen over the next little while. We're going to hand over in just a second to some worship and the worship is going to come from our Rutland, our 33 campus, and we can join with them live and that's really exciting. And then you're going to have an opportunity to give. So please get ready with that. Lots of different ways to give. You're going to show family news. And then, of course, we've got a message. It might be me speaking, it might be somebody else, but it'll be a live message coming from the South as well. So thank you so much for joining us. We're very, very grateful that you are doing that. Very grateful for all of those of you who are giving generously every week to make this happen. Very exciting. And we really pray that you'll have a wonderful time in the presence of God over the next hour. God bless. Week here at the church at 7 o'clock. And um, again, 7 a.m., those prayer times have been really, really nice. We've had so many different people coming in and praying. And uh, again, Curtis Tolman is leading us tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. So wake up, roll over, turn on your phone, look at your screen, and he's going to sing a few songs for us tomorrow morning. So Will Park Church online, and uh, follow the links are on Facebook. So with that, welcome all, and we will sing a bit more. Thanks, Jordan. One little uh, housekeeping. Hey, Nate, can you turn my voice down a little bit in my monitor? Thanks. <laughs> it was really loud in the first song. I was like, that's a lot of me. That's a lot of me in my ears. So let's stand together. And just a reminder, if you're in, uh, if you're in youth here, which is uh, grade six and up, you're going to be going with Katrina over there after worship. So if we forget to tell you, you still get to go. Don't worry, okay? So uh, we're going to sing a song that we've been singing the last uh, couple months called You Keep Hope Alive, and I just want to encourage you this morning to really sing it because it is true. Jesus is alive. His word will last, and as the world tries to preach a false message of hope, we get to preach the real message of hope. Amen? And Jesus is alive, and he's our hope. So let's really sing it out this morning with gusto. Let's sing it. Here we go. Sing together, days may be darkest, days may be darkest, but your light is greater, you light our way, God, you light our way. When evil is rising, you're rising higher, with power to save, with power to save. Sing it together, you keep saying, you
ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then this is the really powerful truth in this because it's not about us. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So as we declare this truth, as we pray this song, as we pray this for ourselves this morning, we can know that it's the Father's will that we abide in him and that we bear fruit. Amen? So we're not doing it for our own selves to have nice, easy lives and to show everyone else, look at all the fruit that we have. We're actually doing it for our Father's glory because he wants to be known through your fruit. So let's sing this uh, in prayer this morning. Here we go. Spirit, come and just lead us as we sing this prayer song to you. For my waking breath, for my daily bread, I depend on you. Yes, I depend on you for the sun to rise, for my sleep depend on you. Yes, I depend on you. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the well that never runs dry. I'm the branch and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Where the Spirit leads as I'm I enter rest. 
going to sing this humble prayer, saying, I depend on you. Just ask him as we sing this to come and bear fruit in your lives in all of these areas for his glory. That's our prayer today, Father. Would you hear us? I depend on you. I depend on you.
Trust you, Lord. We look to you. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength.
here for Willow Park Church. Here's your family news for the week. First of all, I want to say a big welcome to all of you who are new to our church. If you haven't already, please take a moment to fill out one of our Connect cards or scan the QR code on the card in the seat in front of you to fill out online. Then, after the service, be sure to stop by the Connect table in the foyer to collect a free gift from us! We are beginning the final week of our 21 days of prayer. To wrap it all up and celebrate what God has done, we hope you will join us next Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at our Highway 33 location for Willow One Worship and Prayer. We'll also have a kids' praise and worship party happening at the same time, so bring the whole family. We'll look forward to seeing you from all our campuses that evening. Looking ahead to February, we want to let you know that we will be starting a new Alpha course. If you are wanting to learn more about God and explore the deeper questions of life, then this seven-week course is definitely for you. Alpha will be happening online on Monday nights at 7 p.m. and will be hosted by Pastor Phil and Pastor Jordan. Sign up today on our website. Finally, I am so excited to tell you about our upcoming Senior High Winter Retreat for youth in grades 9 to 12. It's happening at Pines Bible Camp on February 18th to 20th, and it's going to be so much fun. We be sure to register soon at cahoots.ca slash arctic with a K. That's all for our family news. Have a wonderful week. Okay, so this is the part of our service where we encourage you to really prayerfully consider how you can contribute to the life and the work of Willow Park Church. What we're doing right now online in our online church and our online ministry is made possible by people being generous, just like you, following the command of Scripture in the New Testament, which talks about giving cheerfully, it talks about giving generously, sacrificially, it's kind of got a pinch and also regularly. And so if you are not doing that yet, can, can I just humbly ask you to prayerfully consider how you can give to this incredible work as we, we look for ways that we can serve Jesus in our province, in our city, and around the world. So here are a few different ways that you can do that. You can do it online or whether it be regular each month and we can answer any questions you might have about that. But thank you for making this possible Thank you for the ways that you just, it's, it's humbling how people have continued to give in these really uncertain times. You're amazing. God bless. My name is Tim Ellis, and today we'll be reading from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, and whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Thanks, Tim. You can all have a seat. Welcome to those who are joining us online. We're so glad that you could tune in with us. We're in a series called Rhythms. We are starting this new year off looking to add some patterns into our life that reinforce our spiritual vigor, our passion, and our dedication to Jesus. Today's is on memorization and meditation. We all have a history with these two things. And that's kind of the way we're going to engage with this topic today. When I was 10 years old, I was in Sunday school. Our teacher walked in. He had a brisk step. He had a bounce in his foot. He comes up to us. He pulls out a crisp $20 bill, slams it on the table, looks us in the eye, and says, if you memorize 20 verses... In the next four months, I will give each of you $20. The reward was set. Now, you know, bear in mind, this is in the 90s. That $20 would be worth $35 today. And even more so, back then we had penny candies, so this was 2,000 candies worth of money. This was a big deal. We all looked at each other. We knew we could do this. I left that day knowing that reward was mine, and I started the memorizing process. Memorizing is kind of a strange pattern. Oops, we'll go back. It's kind of a strange pattern. Uh, if you're in the church, this story that I've told, other than the $20, is probably pretty familiar. You spent time as a kid memorizing Bible verses. Maybe even some of you did it competitively. competitively. Hmm. If you're not in the church, this probably sounds very strange. Let's just take a minute and appreciate that. For us who are inside that may think that memorizing an ancient book written by people to people to other people who have long been dead is normal, okay? Let's take a moment and go, if you were looking at that from the outside, that would be weird. It's strange. Anytime you encounter strange behavior, something that doesn't make sense to you, you should perk up, pay attention, because usually it means there's something special going on. Now, memorization is a uniquely human quality. And usually when you have a unique quality, that equals out to some sort of unique purpose. Now, I say memorization is unique. I don't mean that animals don't memorize things. They do. We see, we just got a puppy, and he has already learned that at 6 a.m., I get up out of bed, that I walk over, I put the coffee on, and then I come and open his cage. And he sits there in patient anticipation. Now, before he didn't, he just whined and cried and called for me, and it, you know, tugs the heart to see their little tears. But 
you know, eventually he learns the pattern. He memorizes the footsteps. He hears and knows what's going on. Animals can memorize, but it's not the same as what we do. The way humans memorize is categorically different. That means that our capacity, how much we can memorize, the ways in which we memorize, is so much so that it's a different kind of thing. Now, the way you can kind of get this is, this, this is a container full of water. Okanagan Lake is a container full of water. They're the same thing, right? No. The lake is so big, it's so massive, that it's categorically different than a bottle of water. A lake is a landmark. It's special. It's unique. It's different than just some bottle of water. And that's kind of the same way that for us, even though animals can memorize, we have to remember that because of our capacity and our ability, we have a different level of responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. Now, this is a unique aspect of us, and we believe that it is built into us by God. And so we would expect that if this is built in, it should be in other places as well. It's not just a Christian thing to memorize, right? It's actually a fundamental part of all cultures. When you look back in history, you look at all the evidence of other cultures that we have, ancient and new and modern, memorization is a fundamental value. Memorization, we think, kind of started with storytelling. It was a way of passing on family history to the next group. You remember that time that lion jumped out of the bush and ate Uncle Bill? Now you know you don't go hunting by the bushes. This is the story that you pass on over and over again. And we do this today. We have family stories that we pass on to our kids, that we tell them over and over again. And we memorize these stories in order to root our identity. In my family, our family story that I got told over and over again was about how our family got up and moved out of Russia in the 1920s and came to Canada. The story is one of increasing oppression and violence, and uh, my wealthy ancestors had to lose everything. They gave up their land, their farm, their animals. They got a ticket out of there, and they left. And they came here to rebuild our family. That story was told to me over and over and over again. So when, we, when the Syrian crisis turned up and there was this call to invite people in, my family got that because we were those people. We were the people at one point that were trapped in a war-torn country and that needed to escape. Our family history roots us in who we are. And so memorization is not a me thing, it's a we thing. When we memorize something, it's not about us individually 
like my ability to read a book and recall. It's not a show of talent to see how good you are or if you're going to make it in society. It's not about that. It's about our group identity, how we see ourselves. And that's why it's important to teach children this. That's why for me in Sunday school, we were constantly asked to memorize verses because memorization shows us what we believe. It shows us who we are. It shows us what our value is. If you look back to uh, when you were in elementary, you probably memorized times tables. Uh, I remember doing times tables drills. You know, you have your grid and you have to fill it out as fast as you can and you memorize this timetable because you wanted to participate in getting good grades in class. You wa didn't want to be the slowest. You wanted to know that you fit in and were part of the value of what this class taught. And when we memorized times tables, that wasn't really actually a helpful skill. Uh, for most of us, the memorizing of times tables doesn't come up very much or often. You didn't memorize the times table because it was going to be fundamental to life. You actually memorized it because it taught you fundam fundamentally what life was about. It was about being able to recall quickly. It was about facts and numbers, measurable amounts and limits. And that, fun fact, is why teaching has shifted. Uh, Isaac came home the other day. He brought his homework. He was learning division. And uh, he said, Dad, I don't know what to do. I was like, I know this. I know long division. You do it like this. You write out the stuff. You work your way down. He's like, no, 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 Dad. That's not how we do it. <laughs> I look at him and go, there's only one way to do division. Uh, the way things are taught now is to problem solve, to approach things with multiple ways of doing it, to uh, encourage kids to not just find the pattern and follow it, but to work through and figure out what's the best solution for the problem we have now. It's a shift in education. And I hope it's a good shift but a shift nonetheless. And it's one that's done with purpose in our culture because our culture knows that memorization shows you what you value. It shows what you believe. It shows what your group identity is. That's big. And maybe you're noticing now that we've been talking about kids. Uh, this isn't about kids. This is about us. Maybe for some of us, memorizing Bible verses was a thing of the past. Yeah, I did it as a kid. I know John 3.16. I've got it down. Uh, that's not true. Memorization is something that we are called to now. Sarah Madden gave me her notes on the sermon she preached on scripture reading, and she did an excellent job. And I know that you're all convinced that it is biblical to memorize scripture. So we won't spend too much time on justifying that. But what I'm, I'm going to ask is that you should continue to memorize Scripture. If memorization is a we thing, 
then we need to do it. Now, this isn't a foundation. This isn't something that you have to do or you're not in. That's Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. But again, we need to go back to this image of rhythms, of patterns. These are, this is the language of reinforcing, of building something up so it can withstand the weight. I worked at, uh, with a contractor at an at ICBC lot, an impound lot, and we were tasked with building a steel structure to put cars on top of, because the lot was full of cars, they needed more space, so they thought, hey, why don't we just do a double-decker scenario here? So we were tasked with building this steel structure with grating on top, and they would put the cars on top of that grating so they would get twice the capacity in their lot. This was great, except that these supports didn't, weren't calculated to factor in the weight of the steel grating. So we built the supports, we laid the steel grating on, and then we stood on top of it, and you could feel the structure sway back and forth. The contractor looked at me and said, get off now. He's like, you don't weigh as much as a car, and this thing's moving, we've got a problem. We didn't have the reinforcement to support the weight of the steel. We had to add those in. And so we got more pieces, we added in, the structure was good. You know, the weight that we experience is life. We have to bear the weight of life, of the things that happen to us, the things that happen to those we love, the things that are happening around us, just generally, we bear that weight. And if you have Jesus, you can hold up that. But if you don't have these reinforcers, if you don't have these habits, you're going to be like that steel structure. You're going to sway. And how much weight can you carry then? These are important rhythms. We're asking to participate in these because they're going to help us. Obviously, though, these, these are challenges. We dropped the ball. That Sunday school story that I told you, guess what happened? A week before the deadline, I had memorized five verses. I sat there. I tried to run through as many as I could before Sunday school, and I got there. And then the teacher asked us to say them. I had one friend who could say three. I said five. Another got to ten. Fifty percent was the best in the class. Not good. But our teacher taught us the most important lesson there. He took the money. He slid it over to us. He said, this is yours. I forgive you. I forgive you. That was a moment where I saw what Jesus' forgiveness was like. Jesus has this reward for us. He has this good and full life, a life that's to the maximum, full. And every single time, we drop the ball. And you know what he says to us? I forgive you. 
foundation of today's talk isn't memorization. It's not meditation. It's forgiveness. Jesus loves you, forgives you, and calls you. That's beautiful. These pieces that we're asking you to add, to to habit stack, as Glenn has taught us, they're great, they're important, but this is the foundation. The foundation is Jesus' forgiveness. We need to be participating in what God calls us to do. That's obvious. And that we're going to fail is obvious. But if Jesus has got you, you can do this. And you can do it again. And you can try again. So, today, don't leave here just inspired by a sermon. Leave here ready to try. Now, I'm not going to leave you in the lurch. I'll give you two ways of doing this. For scripture memorization, the classic way is to recite, recite, recite. Easy. Just say it over and over and over again, and you'll get it. Put it to a song. Easy. Now, the, a good way of doing this, too, to remind yourself to recite things over and over again is just to write it on a sticky note and stick it everywhere in your house, in your car. Every time you look at this thing, read the verse, and you will get it. That's the classic way of memorizing. Perhaps, though, maybe I suggest, may I suggest, is a new path. Now, the first, one of the first calls to memorize in the Bible isn't about memorizing verses. It comes from Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, and it's teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Moses here is talking about the stories of Israel. Talking about the stories of what God's done. It's not about memorizing verses and words. It's about memorizing story. So what I would like to ask is, do you want to um, practice memorization? Practice memorizing stories. The way we do this is, first, we write down the stories we want to memorize. If you start with Jesus, you can start in the New Testament, and you can kind of write out a list of the stories that are in there. And then you try to tell yourself the story. Tell yourself the story at night. Tell yourself the story in the morning. At first, it'll be like painting the first layer of a canvas. It's broad strokes. It's not focused. You maybe get the big picture, but it's not detailed. But as you tell yourself these stories over and over again, you'll start picking up on the details. You'll start seeing how these stories relate to you and your life. And you will shift from memorizing a story to seeing your life through the story. I was at a point in my life when we were facing a transition at a church. It was kind of one of those moments of, you know, was it time for me to uh, step down and move on, or should I stay? I wrote out a list to kind of try and decide, you know, uh, here are the pros for staying at this church. Uh, here are the cons. I like lists. And I don't like lists as much as Jenny. Let's just be clear here. But I like putting lists down. And we write out, a, I wrote out the list, and I look on the one side, and 
basically all the reasons for staying amounted to things that didn't matter too much. And all the reasons for leaving were fear-based. This isn't going to go well. It's going to end poorly. So on and so forth. It just, the list made it very clear. There was one side here that was the rational choice should leave. But then my heart was tugged. The story of Peter walking on water. In your Bibles, it probably says Jesus walks on water. That's not the surprising thing in the story. The surprising thing is that Peter walks on water. The disciples are stuck in a boat. Jesus was on land. He sent them ahead. They're in this boat. The winds start whipping up. They're in a storm. They look out and they see Jesus walking towards them on the water. Peter sees him. He calls out, if that's you, Jesus, call me out. And Jesus does. And Peter walks on water. He listens to Jesus. He does the thing that doesn't make sense. If you're in a boat and there's a storm, don't step off of the boat. I don't recommend it. I've fallen off a boat many a time, and it is not fun. Now, Peter does this. He walks out. And then he looks around, he sees the storm, and he goes, oh no, what have I done? I didn't listen to Nick. I walked off the boat. No, he looks around, he gets scared, he fears the storm, and he starts to sink. You know who gets him? Jesus reaches out there and grabs him, pulls him up. Peter gets reprimanded, rightly so. Why did you doubt, Peter? You had walked onto a storm, and you doubted. Aren't we just like Peter? We face these patterns, these storms, these hardships, and we get 90% of the way there, and then we're like, oh, I'm just done, I can't do this. I'm just going to lay down in the water. But Jesus has got us. Jesus reaches out and grabs you. Forgiveness, again, there it is. We talk about memorizing scripture and again, we come to this theme, Jesus forgives. Seeing our lives through the lens of the story is helpful. And in that case, that reminder of that story led me to stay. And it was hard. And there were times where it felt like Peter, where I was sinking. And yet I knew Jesus got me. Jesus has you as well. And so when you practice this memorization this way of looking at your life through stories, of analyzing maybe how you should behave based on these stories that Jesus tells, of these stories that these great people in the Bible go through, that's going to help you. It's going to be a reinforcer again in your life. Now, this sermon isn't just about memorization. It's also about meditation. Now, where... Med, um, memorization probably sounded normal for people who are inside the church. Uh, now it's the reverse. Meditation probably sounds a little strange if you have somebody who's grown up in the church. Uh, but if you are from outside of this community, outside the church community, then meditation is like the hip thing. Mindfulness, focus, breathing. Our culture values these things now. It's not just a weird thing for hippies and, uh, and cultists to do. 
This is a regular pattern and expectation, even in our workplaces. So when we meet that strangeness, we've got to confront it. Just like with the other one, when you find a pattern or a way of doing things that seems strange and unusual, pause and take a moment and let's think about this. Now, uh, I worked in a church one summer as an intern, and the great thing about being an intern is people ask you to do all the strangest things. Uh, one of the things they asked me to do was to clean out their old curriculum closet. This church had kept every single piece of curriculum, of Sunday school material, of Bible study material, and they stuffed it in this upstairs attic. It was a massive amount of material. Now, a lot of it that I found and that I sorted through was from kind of like the 1980s and 90s, and a lot of it was about New Ageism, this movement of, uh, this is where I learned this about this, was in this upstairs attic, this New Age movement that really focused on energy and uh, chi and kind of was this strange Western amalgamation of Buddhism and other religions and spirituality. And meditation was one of the things to beware of. So if you're in a church and you've kind of heard that word meditate and you kind of get that icky feeling, it's probably because it was hammered home in us that meditation was a newfangled uh, practice that was not to be found in our church. Okay, and that, that kind of feeling is going to be there and we've got to work that out. Because meditation isn't just something new, it's actually something that's commanded. In our Bibles, we have a number of verses that tell us to meditate. There's a list for you. You can take some time to look them up. The Psalms is full of a call to meditation. It's to think and to dwell. So a biblical meditation isn't really about emptying yourself. It's not about energies. It's not about anything other than focus. When you meditate, you focus. You push out the distractions. You push away the concerns. You move the anxiety out, and you focus. In order to prep ourselves for this, I'm going to read our verse for today again. And I want you to pay attention to two things. One, how many negative things come up in this verse versus how many positive things. So I'll read it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So, 
positive and negative. Look at all these positive things. Rejoice, gentleness, pray, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, practice, peace. And there's one negative thing in there. Anybody want to call out what it was? Anxious, yes. Anxiety. One negative thing. You know, researchers are discovering more and more a link between uh, anxiety and meditation of controlling your focus. You know, you go to the doctor, one of the things they're going to recommend, scientifically going to recommend that if you have an anxiety disorder, meditate. You know, the Bible said this 2,000 years ago. All these positive things that you're called to think on, to focus on, they're done so in order to work against anxiety. And the reward is peace. Isn't that what we want? We want peace. Anxiety is crippling. Anxiety isn't just uh, this strange thing that afflicts us. Uh, anxiety is connected to focus. When you're anxious, where is your focus? It's on the things that you can't control. It's on the things that are, that are hurting you. It's on the things that are chaotic, the things that make you worried. Anxiety is about having the weight bear down upon you in a way that can't work for you as a person, that you as a person won't be able to live in. Uh, I went to the hospital yesterday. I had a bit of a fight with a crock pot. Um, I won the fight, but the crock pots, uh, you know, don't bring it up. The crock pot's in pieces now. Uh, I got cuts. I had to go get stitches. Uh, and on the TV in the hospital was Canada's Worst Driver. It's a great show. I highly recommend it. And the one lesson that I think that uh, they got absolutely right is whatever you're looking at, you're going to hit. You see these people driving these cars, and the driver instructor says, okay, a thing's going to pop out left or right. If you look at it, you're going to hit it because your hands are going to steer that car where your eyes go. And so when we talk about focus, it's the same principle. What you focus on is what you're going to hit. You focus on the negative things that are happening. You meditate on the pain and the conflict. That is where you're going to steer your car. You're going to hit that. And so meditation is a practice, a rhythm we put into our lives to help us focus, to change the direction, and to go where we want. And did you know that the average person has approximately 50,000 value-based thoughts in a day? It's a lot of thoughts. And these thoughts are kind of fall either on the negative or the positive side. Guess how many of those are positive? You probably already know. It's, it's 10,000. 10, so in a day, 100% of your thoughts, if you were to take this category and make it 100%, only 20% of them are positive. We are so skewed towards the negative. It's going to take effort. It's going to take actual 
character and discipline to change that balance. Because if you just go naturally, if you just go with the flow, you're going to end up on that negative side. And when you end up on that negative side, you end up in a place you don't want to be. When we practice meditation, the result is peace. Paul links focusing on these good things leads to peace. And an established identity leads to peace. Scripture memorization and meditation go together because they both lead the same direction back to Jesus. Now, for some of us, meditation is new. I'm going to give, again, two suggestions of ways of doing it. There's the classic way of meditating. It's silence and breathing. Glenn has already prepped us last week for breathing, so I won't teach you how to breathe again. But, you know, finding a place where you're quiet, where you're alone, where you can just focus on breathing, that is the classic way of meditating. I'm going to suggest, again, a new path. There is a book called Way of the Pilgrim, and it comes from Russia, so, you know, maybe I'm a bit biased there. And it's about a man from, like, the 6th century who lost everything, his family, his friends, his home, his job. He ends up a homeless wanderer. His life is over. But he hears a sermon on this idea of continuous prayer. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 18. Paul calls the Thessalonians to pray continuously. Well, this gentleman hears this and goes, how does that work? You can't pray continuously. You have to breathe. You have to eat. You have to sleep. This is impossible. But he's curious, and he's got nothing else to do, so he decides to go around to churches and uh, monasteries and get an answer for this. And as he journeys, he discovers that there's these wonderful pastors who preach on prayer, and it's so inspiring. But he walks away, and he's like, I don't know what to do. Well, at Willow Park, we don't want to leave you like that. So we're going to suggest this new path on meditating, and the one that this gentleman in this story finds is he finally finds that uh, he finds a monk who tells him you need to meditate on the foundation of scripture, on the foundation of faith. And the man says, well, what is this? And the monk tells him, it's the tax collector's prayer in Luke 18, verse 13. And he adjusted it a little bit. He says, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. The foundation of meditation is on Jesus' forgiveness. This phrase is an encapsulation of the entire gospel. When you say this, you say it all. When you meditate on this, you meditate on it all. So if you want a, a way of meditating, this is another way of doing As you take this phrase and you say it to yourself. When you breathe in and when you breathe out, you say, 
Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And peace will descend. You're in trouble. You've got anxious thoughts. This is a way, this is a reinforcer to help you bear the weight. But don't forget what the foundation really is. It's forgiveness. It's always forgiveness. And most of all, what I want you to leave here today is feeling forgiven. Ask for it, receive it, and experience the freedom. As the band comes up, I'd like to pray and invite God to bring down his forgiveness upon us so that we're ready to practice what he teaches. Father, we thank you so much that you love us, that you have us, that you forgive us. And even when we mess up, even when we miss the mark, you're there to say, I've got you. We know we don't deserve this. We know that we fail and miss the mark. But Lord, thank you for reaching out and grabbing us. Thank you for showing us your forgiveness with Peter. Lord, we want to practice. We want to add rhythms. We want to be able to bear the weight that this world tries to put on us. And so, Lord, we ask for success in adding these new habits. Help us to reinforce them, to stack them into our lives, and to build up again and again our passion and love for you. Thank you that you love us first. Thank you that you'll love us last. And thank you that you've got us. Amen. Mm -hmm.